0: Welcome back to 500 Seconds to Joy. I'm your host, Stephanie. This is part two of my conversation with Amy and Jeffrey Ulrich. They are the authors of the book, The Six Needs of Every Child, Empowering Parents and Kids Through the Science of Connection. And in part one, you got to know the authors a little bit. And we talked about what attachment is, this invisible bond we have with our children. And there's two things that Jeffrey talked about, this going out movement, like exploring in the world, and then this coming back toward us where their safety net as their parent. And just talking so much about delight in part one, I hope you go back and listen to it if you haven't yet, because it's so powerful, just how we can notice our children, delight in them. It's just so powerful, and it can be really simple, and I love the way Jeffrey and Amy present all of these topics in a really approachable way, and in part two of our conversation, we talk about how Jesus rejoices in us and how the gospel truth can really help us to parent our children in a more powerful and meaningful way, and then also we talk about boundaries here, so I cannot wait for you to hear from Jeffrey and Amy some more, and definitely go get their book. It comes out June 9th, 2020. So without further ado, here is part two of my conversation
1: with Jeffrey and Amy Ulrich. I will say that it has paid off such huge dividend, huge dividends because it's a reminder. It's almost like a check in my own mind when I when the overwhelm is threatening me, or I get I've worked from home my whole our, the whole time that we've had kids too. So trying to balance and juggle and do all of that is hard. So reminding myself how much it matters, both from for their spiritual and for just for their child development, for their little brains to feel like we're pouring into them. And then I do think finding what their particular interests are and ways that we can connect together. So uh, I discovered when my when the boys were about nine or 10 that they like taking walks. So that was one way that we could we could have some one-on-one time together where there are no screens involved for anybody. You know, Nobody's trying to think of something to do. And it doesn't have to be long, but just creating these little moments of space within your day to stop and check in on one another um, really do become sacred moments in your lives.
0: So freeing. And you know, it's funny as you were talking about finding their interests, I bet a lot of people listening right now, and I know for myself too, I just sort of realized, wait, I am doing that more than Mm -hmm. I think. And I bet us parents are not getting, giving ourselves enough credit because I bet we are delighting in them when we're on a walk. I mean, how cute is it when your toddler like runs off and finds some dandelion gets all excited about, you know, Mm -hmm. weed flowers and, um, so you know I, I think that's thank you for sharing that because I think that could have been freeing for somebody listening and it was definitely freeing for me just like, hey, <laughs> there's all these little moments in time that right. we experience, and it could be as simple as a walk and and you're right, there aren't screens on the walk and I walks are, are one of my favorite activities right now. so thank you for sharing that, Amy and Jeffrey, thank you for speaking more to the fact that yeah, those moments. Um, it doesn't have yeah. to be all the time, every day, yeah. all day. It's not possible.
2: And not, and not getting, not telling yourself the story that if it unravels five minutes later and you're back into misery like it didn't count. Because it mm. really did. It's just there's there's a new thing now happening five minutes later, and you're gonna deal with it the best you can. We'll get we'll talk about boundaries later, but you know, that's part of it too, and it doesn't negate. That moment, um and I do think with the walking, like I think what you're probably tapping into there is it's it's a venue for wonder, right? It's it's being surprised by the surreptitious, if that's the right word, where, where you just like, oh, mm-hmm. look at that! Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing with our kids while they're doing that in the world, and us seeing them do that is a big part of what delight is. Remember, it's on the exploration side of that movement. It's moving into the world. Who am I? How do I, where do I, you know, where do I belong here? How do I insert Mm -hmm. myself into this wondrous creation? You noticing that with them, that's the delight that feeds their soul. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, something unique about your book is that you do bring in, um, you know, the biblical truth about how God delights in us and how Mm -hmm. we are deeply loved. Um, So, you know, you talk about when delighting feels hard um, Mm -hmm. and how can we use this biblical truth to love our children and remember that God first loves us and first delights in us. And those hard, hard moments that come in parenting, um, how can we cling to that biblical truth? and? And use that in our parenthood.
1: I, I I wonder too. I hope that you and your listeners are um, don't do the same thing to yourselves that I I used to do all the time when the kids were younger. I'm I'm better about it, but something would go wrong, or I would just judge myself, and then there would be this ticker tape narrative going through my I'm you know just like a scrolling narrative going through my brain. Just you messed up. You're they're not good enough. You shouldn't have done that. That was a mistake it's just this this crazy judgment that we do of ourselves as moms i think and to think about what if one of my kids was thinking that way about themselves wouldn't i be so sad <laughs> wouldn't mm-hmm. i just take them in my arms and kiss them and hug them and saying you're human Let's, you know, like, this is not your story. Let's try again. That's not even true what you're saying about yourself. So learning to love ourselves the way that I really do believe that God loves us. And just when, when those negative thoughts come in, when we start to tell ourselves that we're not doing a good job or we're not, you know, loving in the way, we just say, oh, look, I'm human. <laughs> look at that. Um, I made a mistake, just like everyone else in the world. And guess what? We get to try again and we get to keep loving each other.
2: And what? <laughs> You and Amy, there really tapping into is this um, connection between the two, because as we um, lose sight of God's delight in us, it actually makes it harder for us to delight in others. It robs us of our ability to delight, mm-hmm. and so holding on to the truth of God's delight is actually, I think, a huge part of being set free to delight in our children. They're um, uh you know, again, I talked about as I searched the scriptures alongside of learning all this stuff, I finally got to the end of the Old Testament and an obscure prophet Zephaniah. Um, and I want to share it with your listeners because it it really affected me in terms of this idea of God's delight. And uh, Zephaniah says, the Lord, your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And I, you know, our view is that Jesus himself it, uh, represents that turning into a space of, I delight in you. There's no more rebuke. You could be a white hot mess, and we all are, and it's not going to stop me from rejoicing over you with singing. Um, And so I think we have to hold on to that truth, especially when we're not feeling like it could be true.
1: And isn't it fascinating? Like when I really believe that, when I'm believed I'm loved that way, then I have the courage, the strength, the perseverance to try again and to keep going. And that's what, that's what brain science and child development research tells us that our kids actually need to keep going. Like what actually keeps them going is our being like, Oh yeah, look at that. Let's try again. Gosh, I love you. Um, it's really fascinating stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. That is so, so powerful. And it's so simple at the same time. I Mm -hmm. I feel like some of the best advice is actually really simple. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And moving into, you know, boundaries a little bit more, this kind of complementarity of delighting in our children and then having these boundaries in place for them. Because delighting could go too far, right? Where we would just see the good and not hold the line, so to speak, right? Is that a possibility? Like, do you see that with parents? They, They want so badly to delight or, or, you know, give that affirmation and approval that the boundaries maybe fall away. Um, Yeah.
2: I think the key to understanding boundaries, and it is like a bookend, as you say, to that whole moving out into the world business. So delight launches our kids, right? You are a wonderful creation. Um, There's no one like you. Uh, God is placing you gifts and abilities uh, that the world needs uh, in that sense you are special now go discover your specialness mm-hmm. um, boundaries said but basically say but you are going out into the world um, and you need to fit into a world that is full of uh wonder and value you're not the only one who has value <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, and so I need to teach you: your actions have consequences uh, in the world, and especially in the relational world. Um, when they're little, uh, we focus on the boundaries in terms of, like the physical world, like if you run out into the street, the world could run you over, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, those boundaries for them to keep them safe. But in particular as they grow older, we move into boundaries really being about your move into the world will push against others and have consequences for others, and I need to help you grow into an understanding of that. And as you have the maturity to take responsibility for that, to do that, to take responsibility that your actions have consequences um, so that you can thrive alongside of others. And that includes mom and dad here, because your actions in our family have consequences, and. I need to help you understand those without shaming you um but also uh you know with determination and seriousness and and to not slough it off um i sometimes frame it in my mind that um you know delight without boundaries leads to a kind of narcissism where i'm great and i only have to consider uh myself um you also see um the opposite, which is boundaries without delight, where the world is just a set of rules you need to follow, uh, and you're good if you follow them, and you're bad if you don't, and that has a different set of consequences uh, for children um, in the world. So the balance really is uh, important, as you, as you say.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just, um, you know, practically speaking, I know that, you know, being being a mom of two little ones and and most of my listeners have little kids although some of my listeners do have older kids which um so it's kind of a ra- range of of mm-hmm. listeners but i do think that a, a lot of my listeners do have at least a toddler in the house um and i think in particular toddlerhood the way i understand mm-hmm. it is you're really building that foundation those first few years of life and And it seems to me that boundaries is a key factor that, that really, you know, like you say with delight does pay dividends. So it's like that a lot of upfront effort, it feels like for, Mm -hmm. you know, that longer term payoff, um, you know, so in terms of boundaries, you know, practically speaking, how have you all like balance these things, you know, how, how do you approach in your parenthood, you know? telling your children how much you love them and how much they mean to you and then holding them accountable for things, which obviously it has to be age appropriate. So maybe if you could put on your parenting a toddler hat for just a minute yeah. um, okay. sure. and just share a little bit of um, that since since you've been through it three times.
1: <laughs> well, parenting a toddler is just exhausting. Like, number one, it's just exhausting and so, you know, as I think about parenting a toddler, there's one particular story that comes to mind. Um, and it was when, so when our, our oldest was about two, maybe two, he went through a hitting stage and it was not like a little pat, like this is adorable. It was like a full on wailing on mom, screaming, hitting stage. Right. And um We would try to redirect. We don't hit, you know, the million different things that you try to do to avoid what everything in, in me wanted to do was just hit back. And one day Jeffrey was at work and he, he just wailed on me. He hurt me so badly. And I was so scared because I really did just want to hurt him. I just wanted to hurt him. So I put him I took him to to his room and I put him put him in his room. I said, time out, walk away. but it was such an intense moment. Um, and I called Jeffrey at work and I was crying, I got him out of a session with a client it was like, I wanted to hurt him, I wanted to hurt him. And um, he said, well, that's normal, you're human, right? You're human. Um, but you didn't. <laughs> you walked away. you put him somewhere you got somewhere that's safe. And and here's a really interesting thing to know about. When things are so intense with our toddlers, we humans, we tend to escalate. We escalate our punishments. We escalate um, our responses to them. And children actually will, young children will start uh, stop their behaviors that are bothering us if we either if we hurt them either physically or emotionally by sh- by screaming at them, they will. There's something I learned from Jeffrey and you might want to jump in a minute, but so they, we can actually get them to stop with those behaviors if, if that wounding happens. But w- something that we talk a lot about in the book is that we have um, both a thinking brain. We like to talk about the brain as having two parts a thinking brain and a feeling brain. And when we escalate like that, when we scare them or when we hurt them, we um, are actually training their feeling brain to remember what it's like to be hurt, right? So they'll stop because they're not thinking logically like, oh, I should obey. They're thinking, oh, I remember what it's like to be hurt so my body is making me stop. But that's actually shutting down the development of the logical part of themselves. So all I wanna say in sharing that story is, I know (laughs) I was there. I, am, I can be so reactive sometimes and it really helped me to learn like, this is a long haul. We're going to breathe through it. We're going to keep redirecting. We're going to separate from, <laughs> from each other when we need to. And we're just going to say, this is hard. And I'm telling you now, like my my 16-year-old is the sweetest, kindest, looks out for his little brother, wonderful kid. But those are hard years and the hard years are just like taking deep breaths remembering how little they are, that their brains are still growing and just modeling for them when we can. And I think, again, just trying to find space, even though I know how hard it is, when those emotions get so extreme.
2: Yeah, a big part of it in that age range um, is um, pulling back and recognizing what is um, possible just in terms of a child's brain development personality. Um, and deciding, well, what am I going to do with this? Um, and like Amy is saying, in the moment, it's very easy for us as adults to just retreat to our emotional brains and lash out. And that can be effective because it shuts our kids down in fear. But that has its own set of consequences that don't really benefit our children in the long run. Um, <clears throat> so, one practical thing is, um, You know, taking a close look at those things that we expect of our kids um, situationally and saying, well, can that situation just be avoided because they're not, they don't have the capacity to be mindful to do what I need them to do in that context? Uh, Or is there something that I actually could address that doesn't make it possible for them, Uh, two of our children in particular, uh, growing up uh, and even now? If they are hungry, uh, they've lost their mind, they lose their ability to do what they know they should be doing. Um, and we, it's like, we have to remember it every other month. Oh, he's just hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's got a bar in him before I will even, Amy will tell you stories like I'm not, t- I'm not talking to you until you've eaten your bar. And then suddenly it's a new kid and you're like, okay, we're good to go. Right, need- like
1: I used to put one of them in, in his room with a bowl of cashews and say like, we can't discuss this <laughs> until you've eaten these cashews. That's so good.
2: Yeah, so some of it's sleuthing around and saying, what has tipped that brain of my kids to not be able to do something which an hour ago he was able to do or yesterday he was able to do and see if I can solve the problem on mm-hmm. that end. But there are a lot of things that just aren't going to be possible for our toddlers, and that doesn't mean we don't persist in naming the boundary. You can't do that, and there are going to be some natural consequences for that. But realistically, um, the sad truth is we should let our hands be tied a bit in making our children um, be able to do something when it may not be possible for them to do it. So we send the message, this still matters. This is still important. And when they're not losing their minds, uh, when they've settled down, explain why that is the case um, and take deep breaths and recognize in the long run, this, Mm -hmm. my child will will be able to come on board with this. This moment doesn't define my parenthood in regards to this boundary issue. Um, And I say- That's so
0: good. Yeah, it's
2: easy to say it now after, you know, our kids are all older, but it's so hard in the moment when right. you're there.
0: Mm-hmm. That's it for part two. Part three is about bedtime battles. Bye for now.